Belinda Audio presents this unabridged recording of With the Kama Sutra Under My Arm, written by Tricia Bernard and read by Jane Clifton. The dedication reads, Thanks to one of my dearest and oldest friends, Jeannie, for making me laugh. To quote the elderly gentleman I'd met in the Taj Mahal, a warlord class exists as long as it goes to war. Mughal emperors existed as long as they returned to their cold and windy homelands for a dose of annual hardship, doing a bit of conquering on the way. Once they settled on the Ganges plain, the insidious heat got to them, and eagles turned to chickens. In other words, the descendants of the sword-wielding barber turned into indolent and vacuous wearers of voluminous muslin skirts who dallied away their lives and fortunes with wine, women and song. We should be so lucky. Chapter 1. Tar Desert our windowless, wooden-seated bus rattled past kilometres of red hills, which eventually became green wheat fields, squares of dry, cracked dirt, and finally piles of plastic that smothered the earth so that nothing grew and might never grow there again. We saw a one-legged scarecrow in a dhoti lording it over a bare field, not winning the battle against a flock of determined crows. A woman in an orange sari washing a baby in a purple plastic dish on top of a manure pile. Two men, their day's work done, gossiping with their wooden ploughs over their shoulders. And a woman in a sapphire blue skirt and rose pink scarf balancing two brass bowls on her head. As she walked, the sun's rays hit the bowls, turning them into flames, making it seem as if she carried the internal fire of life upon her oiled black hair. Finally, the bus stopped at a large roadside chai shop. The chai shop, stuck out in the middle of nowhere, had three ovens, many rickety chairs with legs wired together, a dozen lopsided tables, and a scattering of male clientele who seemed to have walked there. There were no toilets. Everyone left the bus to pee. Sally and I were about to walk down the road when the man in front of us kicked a rag bag of bones. The unfortunate dog yelped in pain and Sally exploded. Marching up to the man, she kicked him in the shins and shouted, How do you like it? The man gaped at her. His friends gaped at her. All the passengers and men in the chai shop gaped at her. And I gaped at her. I couldn't believe she'd done it. Hadn't I just told her about the missionary and his two sons who had been burned alive by rioting Indians? The dog kicker tried to explain that he had kicked the dog to get it out of our way, but Sally wouldn't listen. She was bent on lecturing him on cruelty to animals. I tried to interrupt, to get her away from the crowd of mismatched jacket-and-trousered men who were gathering around us, four circles deep. 
In the end, I yanked her away and dragged her towards the shed. Are you out of your mind? We're in the middle of nowhere, and you kick an Indian in his own country. Not that kicking anyone anywhere is acceptable, but we were the tourists. Don't you care about the dog? she retorted. Of course I care. I have two dogs. But kicking someone is not going to change a lifetime habit. Dogs are not important to Indians. They are not holy cows, milk-giving goats, or rubbish-eating pigs. As far as they're concerned, dogs are vermin. Then why don't they put them to sleep? She knew the answer already. Orthodox Hindus, Jains, and Buddhists...